Welcome to the Trauma Tapes. I'm Dr. MC McDonald, a PhD trauma researcher, author, and life coach. I'm here with my sister, Elizabeth Meadows. On this podcast, we read your letters, give you advice, and help you heal without shame. Welcome back. I always have this impulse to do the um, Dax Shepard. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Trauma Tapes. <laughs> oh, I like that. That's fun. Remember we when we saw him? That. Yeah, we saw him uh, running. Yep. Dax, if you're listening, us. which you're not, <laughs> we saw you on Manhattan Beach one time. <laughs> uh, we just like punched each other and let him yeah. I mean, what, what else are you going to do? Right? You know, scream and yell. I think I yeah. wanted to be like, you're so much taller than I thought you'd be. <laughs> That's the trip that we also saw the woman from the Real Housewives. Oh, yeah. Taylor? Taylor, yeah. Remember? Yeah. LA I don't there. watch the Real Housewives anymore. I'm done. Over. I don't either. I can't do it. It's just gross. It was like an important study, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, not yeah. to not to like elevate it to something that it wasn't, but like I feel like what I was. I'm glad to have watched what I watched, but I can't do it anymore. I know. I just I feel bad after like I'll watch like three episodes, then I'm like uh, now I feel horrible. So maybe I should. I stop know. Doing this. Yeah. I know. I know. I know. I can't do Below Deck anymore either. Yeah, I never really got into that one. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. But there's something about that, um, that life of excess. Yeah. That kind of turns my stomach. Like a, you're going to like spend, because these people spend, I don't know how much they pay to get on the boat, but then the tip is like $25,000 at the end of the week. I know. Just the tip is $25,000. Like what? I know. There's like this whole thing with like, like I, 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 this was going to be my tiny little joy. I'm going to just going to say it now that, okay. <laughs> that um, we'll we've been watching. We've been watching the Blacklist, which is James oh, Spader. I have too. That's so random. Who I, I something about him like reminds me of mom, and it, like I just I love like his Kate the way he speaks and He's, like I, I, I do too. I love him. There's something about him that's like comforting on some level. And I was thinking this morning about like, okay, what's, what's my tiny little joy going to be? I think it's going to be James Spader and Blacklist, um, <laughs> Raymond Reddington. But I was thinking about these shows that are like so comforting on some level. And yeah. like, how did yeah. we lose that? Like, how did it turn into like the norm became like watching reality television and people behaving really yeah. badly, yeah. you yeah. know, yeah. that are extremely wealthy and really drunk a lot of the time. Yeah. And it's like, can we just get back to like the stories and there's like, yeah. a, you know, a, a lesson somewhere. I mean, Raymond Reddington's a criminal, so it's probably not. Yeah. I was going to say, we've got to do a caveat if you've never seen blacklist. Cause it's kind of an old show. It's so funny that we've both been watching that. That's so random. It's, um, it's comforting. It's not, it, it's not remotely comforting as a show. Like he's, he's, it's very, it's violent. And <laughs> he's, he's kind of a, um, He's he's a good bad guy in a way, right? Um, right. So it's got sort of like what was that? Oh, this is like Dexter vibes a little bit. Like it's not like yeah. Yeah. don't turn it on and expect like um, feel good, you know, happy, happy. Yeah, like yeah. a sitcom. It's not, but he is very comforting because I think part of what the story is doing every week is like restoring order to chaos. Right. You know, right, right, yeah. <laughs> but I wish I kind of wish that there was a little bit more of that, or maybe that's just the stuff that I need to seek out instead of the. Um... The Real Housewives genre. They, I think, you know, I'm laughing. Reality. I'm laughing because there's this sh there's this this TikTok account. I've never seen an episode of the Kardashians in my life. Me neither. 
but there's a TikTok account that spoofs the Kardashians and it's like the fucking funniest thing because it's, it's two people and for whatever reason they're always holding like I don't have enough random stuff oh wait hold on they're like talking to each other but they're holding like what's supposed to be a drink but it's like a cactus in a wine glass and then like <laughs> a box of crayons and they're just like standing there and they're like what are you doing today well I am doing and it's just for some reason the funniest thing in the world they make me laugh I commented on one of their things and I was like, I've actually never seen this show, but I get such a kick out of the fact that you're making fun of it in this way. Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we need to kind of like adjust what we've been taking in. I need to adjust what I've been taking in. And yeah, I'm realizing yeah. that like the, the stories or the, the shows that are a little bit that are not reality television or make me feel better. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's something about reality TV that's like, I think in the beginning it was, it felt very, um, I don't know, just interesting. Like you're watching people's lives, but I think once you realize what reality TV does to people, right? it's, it's hard to like continue because these people's like fame ruins your life. It's like, yeah, it does. It really and then, does. and then you, you explode live on TV. And that's entertaining. Well, and there's all these message boards and people commenting who you've never met before about the demise of your marriage. Like, I can't imagine a worse thing. I know. I mean, that's a ridiculous statement, but that's awful. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's not a good formula. You know, it's not, um, it's yeah. not healthy. James Spader is very comforting. Right? Yeah. I mean, Boston Legal is probably like one of my favorite Me too. shows ever. So Yeah. And he's a weirdo. I mean, I mean you know, it's not oh, like totally. he, he always plays these kind of strange characters, but like, yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, there's something about him that's soothing. It is. Yeah. <laughs> but the show's I, not soothing. Just be warned. It's great. Yeah, it's not. It's but not. if you haven't watched it, you, yeah. Okay. We have a letter. Right. We have a letter. Yes. Sorry. I've changed okay. up the order. That's okay. We'll go back to Tiny Little Joys at the end. I'm drowning in shame about everything and nothing. I've not done anything hor- horrific or terrible. Instead, I am just... I'm just so ashamed of things I've done or said in the past and everywhere and every person I know reminds me of it. I've said stupid things to friends or ruined relationships that might've been good. I focus on even dumb things I've done at work, little mistakes that didn't even really matter at the end of the day. I spend most of my days in my messy room and I'm very unhappy. I close the curtains because I'm too ashamed of myself and I don't even have enough peace to do anything. I barely function. I don't take care of myself. I'm addicted to porn. I don't work out. I barely go to work and when I have to work at the office, but when I'm working remotely, I barely do anything and spend my whole week inside of my room. Whenever I go out, I feel a terrible anxiety and a rush to hide. I'm 24 and my mom cooks my food because I'm too disorganized and ashamed to prepare anything. All of this only creates more shame and I don't know how to change my life. I also have bad habits I can't let go of. I have plans for the future, but I don't know what to do and I'm running out of time. I get depressed when looking at the mirror. I'm so fucked up. I feel like the only way for me is to move out to a new country and a new environment where no one knows me, a fresh start. Other than that, I don't know what to do. Help. Mm. Wow. He knows. Yeah. What is, what's your first? That this person um, is, sounds like they're in crisis. Sounds like this is a very... Uh, serious situation. Yeah. I mean, listen, if you, 
So it sounds like you have some kind of support network because you, you have your mom. So um, if you have the financial ability, I highly, highly recommend getting into therapy ASAP. Yeah. But I also have a lot of other ideas. And it's possible you've already been doing that. So, um, <clears throat> but I want to throw that out first because that's important, obviously. Um, it sounds and like- you what... do that from your room too. I mean, you don't, right. you know, the world we live in, it's a whole lot easier to, yep. to have those sessions. Yep, totally. And um, there are affordable options like BetterHelp um, that you can access virtual um, therapy that way as a starting point. And then you can start to get into some other things if that works for you and you want to kind of bring it up a notch. Yeah. Uh, just throw out a lifeline, like throw, throw out mm -hmm. something and yeah. let someone help you with this. Yeah. And here's another whole bunch of stuff. It sounds like you've been buried by like a shame avalanche, right? So I think it's really interesting that the, they said they've never done, they haven't done anything really bad. So like, why do they have all this shame? Number one, you have shame about your shame. So that's going to get in the way of clearing out any of the shame, having shame about shame, meta shame. Um, but I think what happens is they then list like a whole bunch of things that they're constantly reminded of and ashamed about things they've said, relationships they've ruined, stuff like that. Think about each one of those as like a boulder. So you're at the bottom of a hill and each one of the things that has happened is a boulder that has come piling down on you. And now you're underneath this huge pile of boulders that in and of themselves are not that heavy or bad, but together are absolutely pinning you down. Right. And I say that to justify your stuckness because I think what you're doing is saying, well, I haven't done anything really wrong. Therefore, I don't have a right to feel this way. Mm -hmm. And that's not productive, right? You don't mm -hmm. have to have like a quote unquote, like legitimate bad thing that you've done in order to feel shame. You do. You're here. You're underneath that pile of shame boulders that has become immovable and so I think the first step is to acknowledge that and accept it. That's where you are. Mm -hmm. I also think that bad habits really often come from extreme discomfort. And so when you're underneath, when you're buried underneath a pile of shame boulders, you're going to reach for really quick dopamine hits in order to literally survive. So scrolling the internet, porn, whatever else, did they say anything else that they're doing? That was. No, they just said bad habits. Just, so whatever your bad habits are, are coming from a place of need. Yep. So bam, like knock that down as you don't need to feel shame about that. Your your brain and your body are trying to protect themselves by giving you something positive. And so you're labeling those bad habits and then feeling shame about having them. But, and I get that you want to change them, but I think the way to change is to accept that they're there for a reason. Okay, that's good. You're not going to have motivation and shame. It's not going to happen. It's impossible. Right. So if you're waiting to like get to a point where you have that, it's just, it's not going to, you know, if you're waiting for the point to feel better enough to do something. Exactly. Okay. So I would pick one thing and do that one thing every day for four weeks and okay. then give yourself a reward. Okay. And that one thing has to be something that you know with like relative reason, reasonability that you're going to accomplish. Okay. So it could be as small as brushing your teeth. Right. Taking a shower. And 
whatever else you do in the day is fine. You don't have to feel, you don't get to feel shame about anything else as you accomplish the one thing every day for four weeks and then you give yourself a reward. And then after those four weeks, you add something to your one thing. So now you have two things every day for another four weeks and then you give yourself a reward. Okay. And then at the end of the second month, you add a third thing and try to get up to four things a day that you're doing every right. single day. And I mean like brush your teeth, drink water, take a shower, you know, make the bed, like make the bed. Yeah. Like text a friend, like it could be anything, anything, but track it, like make yourself a piece of paper, grab a notebook and, and write the days, grab a calendar, mark them off so that you can actually see that you're making progress. Because even though those sound like really small things, they will start to chip away at some of the shame boulders. Right. So I'm imagining you underneath this pile and you have this little pick and you're like chipping away little by little. And then eventually you're going to get out and then you're going to have motivation. You're going to feel good about the things that you did do. Right. Because you're going to shift your mindset a little bit. Can I, how would you, or is this not even an appropriate question? Like it sounds like rumination that you just like Mm -hmm. start thinking about all the bad things that ever happened. Is there a way to stop that while it's happening or to like hit pause or, yeah. Or is that another thing to feel badly about if you can't do that? No, I mean, ruminating thoughts are just really tricky. The thing the thing is that, um, number one, I think it's helpful to recognize what they're doing for you, even though like they feel terrible and they're taking you out. They mm-hmm. think they're protecting you. So intrusive mm-hmm. thoughts come up so that you pay attention to them because like part of your brain is like, oh, you're in danger and you need to be aware of X. Mm-hmm. You know, and so X could be like the time you messed up a relationship, a dumb thing you said to your friends, a time you failed at work, like a thing you were embarrassed about when you were in fourth grade. Like it doesn't matter, but your brain is kind of tossing those up because it thinks that you need to remember them. So you don't do them again. So you don't like. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because it's like, hey, you're in a bad spot. Okay. Let's think about all the bad things you've ever done. So you make sure you don't do them again. So you don't find yourself in the same bad spot, but it's just, it's counterproductive. Okay. I think like this is this is something that we've been sort of talking about and around. I think that the more I think about shame, shame is traumatic. Yeah. And so if you think about what trauma does to the brain, one of the things that happens is that um when you go through something traumatic, your brain can't really file it away because it's too overwhelming. And so, but it knows that something bad happened and it wants to protect you from the bad thing. And so it will throw up all these intrusions memories, flashbacks, triggers, like, so that it, so that you can, and it feels awful. uh, But the thing that your brain is trying to do is to get you to go back and refile everything so that you imprint the thing that happened and make sure that you don't encounter it again. Um, So it's like an adaptation that becomes maladaptive. Okay. And I think shame does the exact same thing. Right. Because at least this level of shame, right, totally takes you out and causes those same intrusions, right? This person is saying, like, I can't get through the day. I'm trying to be here in the present and the past keeps coming up. It's the exact same thing as right. a traumatic event. And we do the same thing with trauma that we're doing that this the, this letter writer is doing, which is we say this wasn't traumatic enough to be this disruptive. This doesn't count. This other person over here has a bigger trauma than me. Therefore, I don't have a right to have this response, you know? Yeah. Which is just adding fuel to the fire. I mean, it's just another like. Exactly. Yep. Right. It's another boulder. Just getting tossed on top of the pile. Right. And so, so to go back to the question of what do you do about intrusive thoughts? Um, 
they are really sticky. One of the things that's really helpful, and I think this is actually probably where a lot of your bad habits are coming from, is that if you can distract yourself with something that occupies the prefrontal cortex, you will get yourself out of the intrusive thought because the intrusive thought is coming from the part of your brain that's in the fear center, the limbic system. And okay. so since that circuit is counterposed to the prefrontal cortex circuit, if you can turn on the prefrontal cortex, then you can shut down the fear response. And so what you're doing out of compulsion is reaching for things that distract you, right? So porn is a great example. What is going to distract your prefrontal cortex, your visual cortex more than porn? Right. Um, and so that, so you're reaching for those things, even though you, you mentioned addiction there, like it's become this compulsive thing. The reason you reached for it originally is to get yourself out of that desperate place. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a genius adaptation. Now, right. the tr- so the trick is not to shame it. The trick is to say, okay, I picked something. It actually worked really well in the moment. It's no longer serving me. It's become a compulsion. What can I do to replace it? Right. And this is another place where you could gain some traction. Like, can you get an art practice up and running where yeah. you're spending 30 minutes a day learning how to draw or uh, paint or, you know, anything that feels a little bit, you don't have to become a painter and have to sell your stuff on Etsy. Like, but the idea that you would be occupying your prefrontal cortex with something that you're choosing rather than something that you're compelled to will change right. the whole charge of it. Okay. The other thing you can do with intrusive thoughts is to journal about them, to write them down. And I would do that like in a time box way. So set a timer journal about whatever intrusive, like write the intrusive thought at the top of the page, let yourself write about it for 20 minutes and then close the book. And that gives your brain sort of the signal that like, okay, we're turning to this because our temptation when we have an intrusive thought is to push it away. And then we get in this like push pull, like tug of war with it. And then it actually just gets stronger. Okay. So you kind of like let it out on the page and then, yeah. and then don't re- close it. And, and, yep. Yeah. And it's yep. done. Okay. Yep. Totally. And you can do that every day. You can also turn your intrusive thoughts into art, which I find really useful, um, oh. but it requires like a little bit more. You really can't be in like a shame space with it, you know? Right. So I have intrusive thoughts all the time. They roll around in my head like songs that get stuck. And like, if you can, I learned how to make a, this particular poem called a pantoum poem at a writing retreat. And so I'll take the intrusive sentence and it's the first line of the poem. And then a pantoum poem is really cool because it's got like a very specific structure. There's not a lot of freedom in it. So you, you, the the like the poem structure does something with the thought that I don't do. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, Okay. It like manages it in a way. Yes, totally. And it crafts it into something else. And then it kind of like, you kind of give, give it away. That's fascinating. Yeah. It's fun. Um, But you could also do, you could do like a visual art. You could have the words in the middle of a page and do some painting or watercolor drawing around it. Like once you switch into an artistic place, you're in a different part of your brain. Okay. The creative part of your brain can't be on at the same time as the fear, shame, bad part of your brain. Not bad part, but, you know, part that's causing you pain. Do you think, um, like, removing the device is important? Or do you think that's, like, you're talking about being creative or writing or doing something, like, physical. Do you think that, like, yeah, instead, I don't know, is that, like, another thing to, like. No, I just, I feel like I'm supposed to say yes, but but I don't want to. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Because I think like pulling things away from you is going to be, you're going to have, uh, it's like when you go on a diet, right? And you cut something out. What do you want more in the world? So you cut out chocolate. Great job. You can probably cut out chocolate for four weeks or two months or whatever you want to do. 
but that whole time, what do you want more than anything in the world? Every meal, every minute of every day is chocolate. Okay. Yeah. So I think it kind of messes up the reward cycle, you know, a little bit. So don't make it about, um, excluding or removing, make it about adding. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Yes, exactly. That's a great way to put it. All right. And then I think like if you, if you have the devices around and you're using them, but you're also making art, then they're going to be less interesting, even just for those 20 minutes. And that's okay. Right. You know? Um, What about the mom making the meals? What do you think about that? (laughs) You're doing the thing where you ask a question, but you want to answer. (laughs) What do you think? (laughs) Well, I, you know, I don't want to like, I I know how it feels to be in that place where you feel like you can't, you know, reach for anything good or it's Mm -hmm. hard to reframe things. And, Mm -hmm. you know, someone gives you a suggestion and you're like, go to hell. I, you know, I can't do that. That's why I'm in this place. But like, what if, what if you appreciated that your mom made you the meals? Like, yeah. Yeah. What what if, what if you reframe that as, as like, okay, this is, yep. This is a gift. This, I'm super that, grateful. You know, that, mm-hmm. Yeah. That there's uh, that my mom is nourishing me in a way mm-hmm. that I can't right now. Yeah. That's a great, that's, that's a great tool for, I thought you were going to say something else for two reasons. One, because um, it gets you in a different mindset about the whole process, which is that yeah. you're in, now you're in gratitude instead of like failure mode, which is great. But the second thing is that one of the quickest ways, so the circuitry of the brain operates like the circuitry. I know I've talked about this before, but in case people haven't listened, um, the, the circuitry of the brain operates like the circuitry in an old house. So like certain circuits can't be on at the same time because they require too much energy. And so one of the circuits that takes up a ton of energy is the fear system. And the other circuit that takes, or another circuit that takes up a ton of energy that's counterposed is called the hope circuit, which is where imagination is, um, gratitude, all of these things. And so in positive psychology, they've done all this research. And one of the quickest ways to turn on the hope circuit, which then by default turns off the fear circuit, uh, which is also the circuit that's active when you're feeling shame, is to write a thank you note or do Mm. an act of kindness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you can get out of your head and, and just focus on the gratitude you're feeling as you're eating that meal and then do something or say something to your mom, if you're not already about that, say, I'm so grateful that you're cooking for me, you know, you will automatically go into the hope circuit, which will close down a little bit the, um, the shame spiral. Okay. I think that's great. Good. What'd you think I was going to I thought, I thought you were going to say, um, Make your own damn meal. No, I, 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 I would love if someone made me a meal and, and when I was in a bad place. I think that's yeah. a really beautiful thing, you know. It is a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. And also, make your own damn meal. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it can be like, as you said before, like make yourself really like something really simple. Well, I was talking to Mac before we started, and I was saying that like when I you know, feeling sad or, or, you know, in a bad place or depressed Mm -hmm. or whatever, like I will either clean something and it can be like, you know, windexing the bathroom mirror. It's like not, Mm -hmm. I'm not like going soup to nuts in the place, nothing like that. Or I'll make something, you know, and it could be as easy as like a piece of toast or scrambled eggs, but those two acts like seem to kind Mm -hmm. of reframe things for me a little bit. Like I'm doing something to either improve my, uh, my visual, my space or, Mm -hmm. I'm nourishing myself in some way and yep. that's, that's comforting. So yeah, make your own damn meal. Right. Make your own damn meal. 
And it can be cereal. Like you said, like it doesn't have to be, you don't have to like become a chef. Like you can just be, you know. Right. I think sometimes when we get in this, in this shame place, we, we do hilarious things in our mind, like that are so complicated. Like, so we'll be like, okay, I'm in a shame space. I haven't been cooking for myself. I have to cook for myself. And then what that means in our head is I need to go to culinary school and become a master chef. Right. And that is what cooking for myself means. And it's like, no, can you, can you heat up some chicken nuggets? Like, (laughs) exactly. Can we do it a little bit? Can we, can we have a slower start here? Because if it's realistic, yeah. And I think it's a sneaky thing that shame is doing because it's like, oh, I know I'm going to put something up that you're not going to be able to do. Right. And then we can stay here because I think one of the ultimate goals of shame is to keep you exactly where you are. Right. And so if you listen to it, it's going to keep trying to get you to play small. But if you don't, you're going to be like, wait a second, like, I don't have to become a master chef. I just need to make some chicken nuggets. I can do that. Yeah. The the letter writer says they don't work out. How about you just, you know, try and touch your toes. Like, you know, you you don't have to do 45 minutes on an elliptical. Like, right. Yeah. What's a stretch that feels great? Can you do that once a day? Can that be one of your one things? Yeah. Set the bar low. Yes. Yep. Then you'll meet it and then you can set it higher and higher. Right. Which is how we do anything and any, all the time, you know? Yeah. Shame is trying to protect us. I'm trying to think of a good metaphor for this. Protect us from. So this is my theory on like an evolutionary biology perspective, the reason that shame develops and exists is so that we always stay in the in-group because we're more likely to survive if we're in the in-group than if we're ostracized. And so we have a very strong visceral physical response to shame because we know that it's dangerous. And so I think that when it comes up, it's like, it's like the, the overbearing mother that's trying to keep you home. Mm-hmm who is going to tell you that she wants you to succeed, but that really you can only succeed if you stay in the attic bedroom and don't go to college. So it's a mixed message. Yeah. It's like the, you know, trauma is a truth that tells you a lie kind of thing. Shame is trying to protect you by make, by keeping you small. And what you need to do in the face of it is to remind it that you're actually safe. And the way to do that is to take very small steps out of the house. Okay. That's good. What do you think? Shame is trying to tell you that you're small. Yeah. It's trying to keep you exactly where you are because however like awful and out of alignment with your values, your life might be, it's a known entity. And so kind of like, think about like a, a, a primitive being like kind of poking out of the cave. Yeah, it's exciting. Mm-hmm. You might be able to really grow and find stuff out there, but it's also scary and dangerous and you don't know what predators are out there. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> I'm just trying to, I, yeah, no, I'm trying to get my head around it. Yeah. It's like I feel like I need over, a better metaphor. It was like the overbearing mother with like Munchausen. It's like, yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great metaphor. That was just it, on the blacklist. <laughs> <laughs> this episode was brought to you by James Spader. Right. <laughs> That's a great, that's a great example. And, and on the face of it, like the, that's a great example. The Munchausen's like mother is like, 
and saying to you and everyone else, I'm trying to keep you safe. I know that you're sick. I'm trying to keep you safe, but they're poisoning you. Right. Oh, I love this. (laughs) Munchausen's by proxy. I think it is. Yeah. 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 Which is a mental disorder where you, you make someone around you, usually a child, it could be a spouse too, um, sick so that you can kind of remain in the caretaker position and get the attention that, uh, you would get when a loved one is ailing. And so when you're in that situation, now I'm thinking of like this true crime things I've seen about people who have been in Munchausen by proxy situations, you can't just like call it out. That's dangerous. You have to like do a little shuffle and you know what I mean? Get, get, you have to realize it's happening. Right. Right. Step one. Yeah. Yeah. Accept it, which is awful. And then tiptoe out, sneak out back out of the room. <laughs> right. Right. Without yeah. making any, cause otherwise if you, if you make a big scene of it, then the person will, you're in danger. The person will say you're having a break. You're, this is a result of your illness. Let's get you right. more medicated, you know? Right. It's a very insidious thing. And here's the, uh, the last thing, you know, you have this list. We all have this list of the stuff that we should be ashamed of. Right. So instead of like doing this weird back and forth with it and this dance where you're wishing those things hadn't happened and wishing you hadn't said them, just let's just face them. Like, this is what I'd want to do if I was working with this person one on one. Let's let's go. Let's let's do it. Let's go to the list. Give me your timeline. When did it start? What's the worst thing? And then we're going to go through each one of them. And see if we can find a little bit, if, if we can find anything other than shame in those stories, compassion, a little bit of meaning, a little bit of meaning. Yeah. Compassion, meaning absurdity, humor, any, right. any of that will kind of take some of the power away from, from the shame. What's the most embarrassing thing that you did in like middle school? Oh, Jesus. Um, or junior- <laughs> I'm trying to think of a good example. I live such an embarrassing life that they don't, the things don't almost don't pile up. You know what I mean? Like they don't yeah. register. Um, Middle school. Or like, you know, around that age. I'm trying to think of an example that we can like workshop so we can see, so the writer can see like what, we, what I would do with it. You know what I mean? It's such an awkward time. You know, it's like, yeah, everything you're just holding is... yourself so tightly, hoping you don't screw up. Yeah. I have one. I thought of this the other day. So being an Irish folk, um, I have the palest skin of all time. Right. And like in the, in, I don't even remember when this was, I think it was middle school, like fifth grade or something. Everyone was wearing like shorts. That was like a big thing, but I had, my legs were so pale that I would wear and like self tanner. I don't know if that wasn't a thing or mom wouldn't let me do it. Or like, it was just terrible at that time or it wasn't going to work. It's always a bad idea. It's always a bad idea. Um, For us. (laughs) Yeah. It's just not, we don't, we don't tan. We just Um, look dirty. I would wear like uh, pantyhose, like the, like slightly tan (laughs) pantyhose. (laughs) Like the nude color. Oh God. Yeah. Under shorts. Like as if people couldn't tell. (laughs) <laughs> how did that work for you <laughs> so i haven't thought about this in like 20 years or, or more so when i thought about it in the shower the other day i was like a cringe like laugh hysterically like we are so 
uncomfortable in our bodies. And like, I mean, I don't know. No one ever said anything, but like, it didn't, I don't know. It didn't like. Didn't fool anybody. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I was expecting to do, but I could come to you and I could like admit that as like, a, like I'm so ashamed. Yeah. Like I, I remember this. I feel so embarrassed. I like cringe when I think about it. Like, oh no, I can't stop thinking about it. Now I can't stop thinking about it. I'm so embarrassed. And I, there's nothing I can do. It's in the past. I can't go back. Should I like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? You know? Right. Right. And what do you see in that story? I I see the humor in it. I see the, it's hilarious. the, yeah. the absurdity of it. The, the, um, I think it's pretty like ingenious that your like brain like thought, okay, I'm going to like, I'm going to find some nude stockings and I'm going to, which had to be like profoundly uncomfortable. I hate those things. Yeah. Under shorts. Right. And that I I just like, I see you like leaving the house. Like I figured it out. (laughs) I've gained the system. No one will know. No one will notice that my arms, which are right next to my legs are not the same color. I found a workaround. It's pretty ingenious, actually. It is. It is. Okay, so this is great. So like what we see in that story, now I was kind of laughing about it when I brought it up, but if I had brought it up in an in a in a shamed place, you would have said the exact same thing. Right. And right. now I can say, like, oh, like, oh, I can like I can sort of lean into that. Like that is actually funny and it is ingenious. And it was a it was a workaround. Like what what's the other option? Don't go to school. Right. Don't wear the shorts that everyone else was you just right. have to like, make a little not, alteration. Right. <laughs> isn't that what fashion is? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) There's power in that. There's power in that. So you could do that with any shame story. You could go back to any stupid thing you ever said or did and find a tiny little shred of compassion, humor, absurdity, and that will subvert the power system that's going on. It will take some of the power away from the shame and put it back to you. I love that. You can rewrite the meaning of those little stories. What a weird kid I was. I mean, I'm a no, weird human. Weren't. I guess it's you not weren't. a surprise. You were finding I was. a way to, like, to, to make it work, you know? <laughs> Adaptation. That was my... Exactly. Uh-huh. Exactly. Like, I got it figured out. Yep. Eureka. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. It's hard being human, you know? It really is. <laughs> but if we could be, like, if we can reframe it and, and think and be kinder to our yeah. ourselves, oh my God. even yeah. in those really awkward moments. Mm-hmm. Or stupid moments or regrettable moments. Like we are always, there's always something there that's motivating it that is good. Yeah. And adaptive and trying, you know? Yeah. I can't think of one. I'm going to have to think of one. You're going to now, like, as soon as we're done, you're going to think of like all the rest of the day. That's all you're going to be able to think about is these I remember wearing like a lot of hairspray. Like, I don't know why. Oh, yeah. Like a ton of hairspray. Like, so things couldn't move. Like, you know, I was like. Like walking 12. down the hall, like <laughs> right, <laughs> shellacked. <laughs> like, so we're trying to be in the world in the right way, right? Do the things that other people are doing, even though they're right. not right for us. Yeah, right, right. And you can yeah. see at that age in particular, which is maybe why I went there. I didn't even do that on purpose, but you can see why, how that, like, looking back now, you're like, what could be more ridiculous than fit? Like, who cares if you fit in in middle school? No, right. everyone's awkward. Like. Right. It doesn't matter in the course of your life, but at the moment, it's the most urgent thing in the world. Oh my God. There's nothing like more important than that. 
No. So you, what you are doing, you are doing out of survival. Right. And you can see that so clearly when you look back. I'm struck by like, when I, when I listen to people's stories, how impacted they are by the things that happened at that time. Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. I mean, you can almost always like trace it back to like, yep. Yep. Those years. Oh, a hundred percent. How powerful they are. Yeah. Yeah. Because developmentally, like that's the first stage in, in your true like individuation as a, as an adult. Yeah. Like for, I can't remember the bracket. It's maybe 14 to 18. You're like, that's your first, like, here is who I am as a human being separate from my parents. Yeah. Separate from my family of origin in that house. And, and so what you do and the way that it's like received is pivotal. I feel like if as a community, we can embrace Mm -hmm. people at that age, Mm -hmm. like it would do a world of good. If we can kind of Mm -hmm. focus on just that, Mm -hmm. helping that age group. Yeah. It, it would be powerful. Yep. I, I have found so much with clients in, you know, we talk about inner child work. And I think when we think about that, we, we think of like a six-year-old just automatically like child equals, you know, age seven. Yeah. But I want to know who you were at 14 yeah. because I think that there's something at, at that age that it, that reveals you in a really important way. Yeah. What's your 14-year-old self have to say? Yeah. So vulnerable so vulnerable, but also like, there's so much power there. Cause you're start, like I said, you're starting to like individuate. So you're like, that's when you start being rebellious. I mean, some right. people start earlier, but like, there's something really like, no, no, I've got this figured out that really pops up at that age. But if there was like a mental health, at- like focus on that, like, I mean, yeah. Right. Uh, you know, like on kids at that age. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some intervention at that age, some, some support mm-hmm. or some, mm-hmm something. Yeah. Okay. Letter writer, keep us posted, please do do the one thing for four weeks. See how that goes. We are rooting for you. You can do this. You, you should not be ashamed. The situation you're in is totally normal. Yeah. And don't beat yourself up for the things that you've been doing in order to survive. Exactly. Yep. That is step one. I did my tiny little joy. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Your tiny little joy. Is it the whole show or just Reddington? It's, it's primarily Reddington. Yeah. But the show, the show also. He's got this like swagger that is just my favorite, like. Such a great character. Yeah. But I think there's something of him in it, you know? Yeah. But maybe that's just because I see it in Boston Legal. There's something about the way he receives stress that is fascinating. Yeah. It's, it's, it's his whole, like his expressions, how he like Mm -hmm. internalizes things or how he appears to be internalizing things. It seems authentic. Yeah. yeah. And I also love the fact that he's like, he absolutely takes no shit, but, um, but he doesn't, I mean, he's violent, but <laughs> he never like yells. No, no, he's very he's, calm. He doesn't need to. He's right. powerful. Yeah. He's scary as hell sometimes, but, mm-hmm. but from a quiet place. Yeah. Um, okay. My tiny little joy is that it is not raining. That's a huge joy for you because you were almost washed away. That is huge. Yeah. I was, someone was saying like, 
I'm surprised something. And I was like, I'm surprised like the fucking mountains haven't fallen down. That's how much rain we've got. That was like, if you're not on the West coast, you don't, you're just like, what it's raining. What's the big deal. It was catastrophic rain. Like I've never experienced a weather event like that. And it was like four straight weeks. That's brutal. It was, it was brutal. It was brutal. Days without power, every day being like, okay, am I going to be able to make coffee or is this going to be a quest? Am I going to be able to do my work or is this going to be a quest? How am I going to charge my devices? What am I going to do? Is the power going to go out? Is a tree going to fall in my house? Am I going to be able to drive out of the town if I need to? Or are we going to get evacuated? It was really, really wild. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. The rain or the sun is like, makes me giddy. I know. It's so it's- nice when you see it. So nice. And it's cold right now, which is the, that's, I will absolutely take it, but I've been standing outside as much as I possibly can. Just trying to get it in. Get the vitamin D in your eyeballs. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. I get it. It's, well, that's good. I'm glad it's like turned. And I think some people just kind of went with it and it's not a big deal, but I'm, I'm a solar powered individual and I <laughs> love that could not wake up. Like I felt like I was like asleep for a month. I know. I, I, I don't know how people live in places where it's like that all the time, like, or it's gray and rainy. And I just, nope. I it get really, really like, nope, messes with me. Yeah. My okay. friend the other day was like, you wake up in the morning and you're like, well, I guess, I mean, we shouldn't joke about this. It was obviously a joke. Well, I guess the only thing I can do is off myself because. <laughs> right. Cause there's no hope. Literally. There's no hope. There's no end in sight. You open the like forecast thing and it's like every, all the 20 days are just like a hundred percent chance of rain. <laughs> and you can't, the other thing that was really brutal was that we couldn't sleep because it was so loud. The rain. Yeah. The rain oh. and the wind was so loud for like a month that like you're, you know, my, my little, I have an aura ring and it kept being like, Hey, you're right. Like <laughs> <laughs> what's going on? What are you doing? <laughs> wow. You gonna sleep today or no? So Have you thought no of comfort. sleeping today? <laughs> exactly. Oh, Mac, I'm yeah. sorry. No, it's fine. I'm just I'm glad it's over. Ta-da. Yay. Thank you for listening. Rate review subscribe, please. That helps us so much. Tell a friend about it if you liked the episode. Um, because we want to keep going. Thank you. And write, yeah, write us to sorry, uh the trauma tapes at gmail.com or you can find me on Instagram. I'm mc.phd. You can DM me. If you have a letter, um, or you can submit at the traumatapes.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye-bye.